Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Team Builder Podcast. I'm your host, once again, Hugh Tomlin. Maybe one day we'll have someone else be the host of this podcast, but quite frankly, no one else at Team Builder likes being in front of the camera. Um, I'm the media guy around here, I guess. Uh, anyway, um, today's guest is Alyssa Royce. Before I get into that, I want to talk once again about our online payments portal. We've seen some coaches out there sell some programs on Team Builder, and I'm not talking about one or two programs. Some coaches out there are selling quite a bit, and you know, if you're a high school or college coach and you have a lot of athletes that you don't train any longer due to graduation or whatever, those are all people who know and trust you, and they they will probably sell or they would rather you know buy your programs if you just put it out there. So that's what I've seen coaches do. I want to encourage everyone, if you have not checked out yet, our online payments portal. Um, it's pretty cool stuff. So today's guest is Alyssa Royce. She's the owner of Rocket Fitness, uh, Rocket Community Fitness in Seattle. Alyssa, if you don't know that name, Alyssa was actually in the limelight earlier this year because she was the one um, that, you know, with the CrossFit CEO, Greg Glassman, had her, you know, the, the email published where, you know, Greg really, kind of went off on her and uh, kind of, you know, spiraled this whole CrossFit change. You know, she, she was a big a big part of that. So when I reached out to her, I said, you know, Alyssa, I don't want to have you on the show because of that. I don't want to relitigate what happened with CrossFit, but I do want to talk a little bit about CrossFit um, and, you know, your perspective on it. Because she was, and still is, a diehard CrossFit fan, built her gym with the CrossFit brand side by side, and now is no longer affiliated. But she's very open about how she wants to be affiliated once again. So I thought what might be interesting is, is that CrossFit is a, a household name. Um, whether you hate it or love it, I mean, anyone who is smart would know that CrossFit did something right in kind of building their brand and building the notoriety that they have in the fitness space. And I wanted to talk to someone who was intimately involved with, you know, how CrossFit came to be such a juggernaut powerhouse and then what the future of CrossFit looks like. And also, what does a gym look like when it actually de-affiliates from the CrossFit brand? I mean, does it mean that they're going to take a huge hit? Does it mean they're more successful? What do they have to do differently? So Alyssa runs a really successful gym in Seattle. She's 100% online right now. We talk a lot about that. But Alyssa definitely um, prides herself in her background in PR and marketing. You know, her gym's marketing is great. The way they, you know, kind of define their brand is really cool. I learned a lot from that. But also the way that they cultivate their coaches at Rocket is pretty cool as well. You know, she kind of got to a point prior to the COVID situation where, you know, she said she had the gym where every gym owner wants it to be. She, you know, all the trainers were really self-sufficient and they had very little involvement as owners on a day-to-day -day basis. So we talk about that and we talk also about fitness versus shapeness, especially how it relates to women. And we talk about how there's also a lot of fitness versus shapeness kind of cultural pressures that take place with men as well. And Rocket has a really cool thing of, you know, when it comes to doing orientation with new clients, uh, both men and women. And, um, you know, questions that they ask, but more importantly, questions that they don't ask in order to put emphasis on different things. Uh, I thought it was really relevant, really pertinent to, you know, uh, fitness today. So I hope you enjoy this talk. All right, let's get started. So Aletha, thank you for joining the podcast. I'm very glad to be here. I'm looking forward to it. Absolutely. Uh, for those listening, I um, kind of found out about Alyssa, I'm sure a lot of ways, the same way a lot of people did, and we'll cover that in a minute. But um, I also, you know, read one of her latest pieces, and Alyssa, in addition to being a gym owner and a lot of other things that you do, you're a really terrific writer. That was a great Thank piece you. that you wrote. 
Thank yeah. you. That's actually my favorite. If, you know, in a perfect world, that's all I would do is write. Yeah. Oh, really? Interesting. Oh, I love writing. Yeah. Well, you have some, you have a lot of skills in some vocations, it seems like. Where would you, but gym owner, is that, is that your main identity, professionally speaking? You know, I think right now, gym owner is probably the focus, but you know, it's interesting when I look at the career that led me to here, I, I began in PR and marketing actually, which then sort of turned into journalism because I had a baby and wanted to be with her. And then I was a sex educator for many years, um, wow. which seems strange, but it actually makes total sense. And so gym ownership actually feels like it's the culmination of all of those things. Like, I feel like I'm using my marketing and PR and journalism and even my sex educator background and helping it. people you know, figure out how to communicate. What do you need? What do you want? How do things feel? What are your goals? How do you, you know, how do you want to engage with this community? And it's all, it's all there. Yeah. I believe it. It, you know, there are a lot of, even today, a a lot of gender stereotypes and preconceptions that certainly exist in the athletic performance space and the gym space. And you got ahead of the ball on that one, it sounds like. Yeah, we didn't mean to. It was, it was completely an accident, but it's hard, you know, when somebody's like truly trusting you with their body and their goals and their hopes, um, and you realize that there's all of these obstacles that are preventing them from achieving what they want out of their own lives. It's pretty hard to not start to break down obstacles. Um, and yeah. I didn't, you know, a lot of them I didn't see until I started doing this work. But then once you see them, they're just, they're everywhere. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And th- that's largely been my experience. You're just oblivious to them until someone introduces to you and then it's almost like you can't look away Um, and I feel like it's really important to make sure that people understand that that's not because you're a bad person you know it's not bad it's not wrong it's that we each of us you know we have our own perspectives because we are who we are and until you've lived alongside somebody else who has a completely different perspective it's really hard to see those things and so the whether or not you see them at the beginning is one thing it's what you do once you can identify those obstacles that becomes really the core tenant of who you are. Yeah, absolutely. I, um, for me specifically, that happened in college and then even more after college, living in a metropolitan city, uh, a dense mm-hmm. urban area, it's when I really became exposed to a lot of different different everything. Yeah. Um, it's a good experience. Um, okay, great. So um, let's get into the next part. So I found out about you um, when CrossFit really made the news this year. Um, <laughs> We agreed that we were not interested in relitigating anything <laughs> that happened between you and Greg Glassman mm-hmm. because that may not be so productive. There's more productive things to talk about. But just to introduce our audience to, to what happened, Greg Glassman w- was uh, asked to step down you know, uh, from CrossFit. Um, you know, he said some things, again, we're not going to relitigate. You can look it up on your own, that a lot of people disagreed agree with and were ob- objectively wrong. And you were the one to kind of stand up to him and, and let him know that. And you ultimately ended up leading CrossFit. But you mentioned that prior to that moment, there were some things that had you um, a little bit cynical about CrossFit and maybe the benefits that having the CrossFit name attached to your gym are providing you. Can you talk about some things that led up to that interaction with Greg? Yeah, I mean, the the without relitigating the whole thing, the events leading up to it were, I, I would say, varied, right? So on the one hand, CrossFit was semi-repeatedly releasing data or images and words that sounded <clears throat> sexist or homophobic or racist. And it had sort of become this not at all benign underpinning of how people perceived the brand, right? And so for years, I had been working with them to just 
stop it. Like, stop using sexist images of women. Stop, you know, doing all of these things. And they had actually been quite receptive. So we'd had it. Our relationship started probably four or five years ago when I called them out because they weren't allowing a trans athlete to compete in the open. Um, and although we didn't agree at the time, we it started a long conversation and eventually they overturned their ban on trans athletes. And so what I think not enough people understand is that prior to that email between Greg and I, we did have a working relationship in which I helped them essentially, you know, do better, be better. Um, and so I was, when I reached out to them in that letter, I had every reason to believe that that would continue. I was not expecting the response that I got. Now, that said, it's fair to note that I had ignored isn't quite quite the right word, but like, although I had been aware of all the sort of a lot of the badness going on at HQ, I kind of compartmentalized it in order to focus on creating change from within. And it wasn't until it became clear that that was no longer going to be possible that I just sort of was like, I don't know if I can swear on your podcast, but screw it. Yeah. You know, (laughs) you know, I was just sort of like, fuck it. You know, this, I, I believe in the brand with a pretty ferocious intensity. Like I believe in what CrossFit does. I believe in the power of CrossFit gyms and community. I believe in CrossFit to a really, really intense degree. And it was starting to seem like the the stuff that was coming out of HQ was going to stand in the way of CrossFit and CrossFit gym owners doing what they could do in the world. Yeah. So let's pivot then to... Um, these pillars that build the foundation that make CrossFit so great. As an outsider looking in, I'm not a box owner, I'm not a, a mm-hmm. gym member per se, but I can, it's so obvious that gym owners and the membership, the community was so ferociously loyal to the CrossFit brand. How did CrossFit cultivate that? Oh boy. So there's there's sort of two it's interesting from the inside. I would say there's actually something of a culture war going on amongst CrossFit gym owners. Um, It's pretty intense and I'm fascinated to see where it goes. But I think that what you're seeing in, in terms of passion about the brand writ large is actually passion about people's individual boxes. And so I think that what CrossFit does that's unique is that it creates these communities because we as gym owners you know, most of us have fairly small gyms. Every now and then you see these huge fancy gyms. I think most of us have fairly small gyms. And in those gyms, we have a really tight community and we have the opportunity to see our members, you know, three, four, five times a week for a couple hours at a time and really get to know who they are. And that creates a relationship. And so the fitness almost becomes secondary to what makes a CrossFit gym work and why people see the results and get the sort of passionate feeling. And I think that, you know, as our, our society becomes increasingly secular, right? Like fewer fewer people are now going to sort of Sunday services as, as they once did. Our church, our, our CrossFit gyms really are becoming people's churches. They're where we gather, they're where we find yeah. comfort, they're where we find help, they're where we find hope. Um, and that is what CrossFit did that was truly different from anything else. And so when you see this like really intense loyalty, it's to that, it's to that sort of, immense safety structure that helps people become sort of stronger than they were in every way. Yeah. It's funny you mentioned that sometimes I tease my dad and I say, Hey dad, I'm, I'm going to go worship yeah. at, the church of, at the church of iron. <laughs> totally. Well, but, but, and, it, but it is, you know, yeah, it, it certainly is. is. It, it, you can tell that the members crossed it as a big part of their identity. 
not yeah. necessarily just their fitness or the fact that they train or work out, but they do specifically CrossFit. Yeah. Powerful. It's so very powerful. I asked you before the podcast, how, how would you define your gym now that it's no longer affiliated with CrossFit? You said community fitness. Yeah, um, we call it Rocket Community Fitness now. And it's mm-hmm. it, honestly nothing, nothing has changed for us at all. Um, we're still doing exactly what we always did. We just don't use the word CrossFit anymore, which kind of breaks my heart. But yeah, yeah, because you put it something put a lot of time and effort into cultivating or, or, or deforming the, the what CrossFit was. Yeah, and it, you know it's funny we, we we went with Rocket Community Fitness simply because the initials were the same, and then we wouldn't have to change our logo and everything else. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it still works, but it also better defines what we do because we never did. I personally never identified with how I think the world at large sees CrossFit. You know, I think the world at large still thinks that CrossFit is the CrossFit games. And I think that is just a massive PR and marketing problem that CrossFit has. And I hope that they, I hope they tackle that. Uh, Because I think that for every person who is drawn to CrossFit because of what they see at the CrossFit games, my guess is that there's three or four who are repelled from it as a result of what they see at the CrossFit games. Um, So I've never, we never identified really with with that brand in, in that way. And so, you know, yeah. So let's hypothetically say someone here is a CrossFit affiliate. Um, Mm -hmm. again, we're not going to try to, to, to say, tell anyone what to do. Right. But imagine someone's a CrossFit affiliate. Can you just explain to them or your opinion on what are, are there any disadvantages to de-affiliating with CrossFit other than not being able to use the CrossFit name? Uh, Gosh, I don't actually, you know, like, <laughs> I get your question. I just want to make really clear. I don't want to encourage anyone to disaffiliate right. or to affiliate because I think that, you know, like with any relationship, you need to do what feels right in your heart. I don't have any, any hate for the brand at all. And in fact, with Eric taking over, I have a, a good deal more hope for the brand than I ever did. That said, uh, you know, we haven't, we haven't suffered at all from disaffiliating with the brand. We, I, I encourage everybody who owns a gym to do a survey of all new members and ask them where they found out about you, how they found out about you. And for us, about 80% of our referrals were either word of mouth referrals from a friend, or they were people who followed my writing. So we weren't getting a lot of referrals from CrossFit HQ or from being associated with the brand. And a fair number of people said that they came to us despite what they understood to be true about the brand. Now, what they understood to be true about the brand was mostly wrong. Um, it, it, it was mostly untrue, but we built our brand largely on being not like that. Mm-hmm. So, and, um, oh, go ahead. And, and if we talk about the inverse of that question, um, do you, what's different about being de-affiliated now um, for your gym in, in the way that you do operations or marketing or even, you know, anything along those lines? Absolutely nothing for us, actually. Really? But I think that, you know, we've what we did, because I have a background in PR and marketing, right? Mm-hmm. So we built the Rocket brand on what Rocket stands for, not on what people perceive CrossFit to be. And that's something mm-hmm. sort of going all the way back to the beginning when I work with other gym owners and help advising them on how they're going to build their brand and build their business and run their business. You know, the first thing I say is that you have to know exactly who you are. And saying that you are CrossFit doesn't tell anybody anything about you. 
right? All that does is invite people to apply what they think they understand about CrossFit and assume yeah. that you are the same way. And it that's kind of a brand sacrifices disaster. some autonomy of your brand, it seems like. It, it completely sacrifices autonomy. And so you have to, as you build your brand, you have to know what you stand for. And I say that in a positive way, not in a negative way. So although right. I say we are not like CrossFit, that's a negative on which you can't realistically speaking build a brand. So we went from the get-go building our brand on who we perceived ourselves to be and who we wanted it to be. And sometimes it was aspirational. You know, we haven't hit all our goals. But, you know, we worked on being inclusive. So we put out information, we would, you know, put out social media posts about body positivity, about um, social determinants of health, about adaptive athletes, about all of these things that help people see that there is a place for you at Rocket. And so the CrossFit itself, you know, was less important. I see. So CrossFit today um, is emerging as I guess a, a new brand. I mean, it, it's the same we'll brand, see. but a new ownership. Yeah. Eric, from all accounts, in, in my personal experiences, seems like an effective leader and someone who is really determined to, to change the, the trajectory. I think so. Yeah. Um, and it, what do you think about that? I mean, um, what, were you were you excited when Eric was announced, or was it like let's wait and see? And what were some things that you wanted to see as a former affiliate potentially? you know, uh, you know, someone to reaffiliate again in the future. What were you looking for in the change of ownership? Yeah, I definitely, you know, it's funny. My first reaction was awesome. Another rich white guy. Like that's, okay. you know, on its, on its face, that's not inherently different. And so what you want, what you want to see for a brand that has alienated a whole lot of underrepresented populations, you want to see those underrepresented populations represented in some way in the leadership at CrossFit, at least to know that, that they're being heard. So Change is good. Anyone who isn't Greg Glassman is good. Um, seeing that a lot of the old super core people who enabled Greg are gone, that's good also. I am definitely in the wait and see what Eric actually does to make sure that it's something different before we come back. And I will say, you know, as I hinted to in that uh, blog post that you read, I have... I've had lots of conversations with folks at what I think of as new HQ, and they all seem like really, really good people. So I have hope. My understanding is that they're going to build a board, that they're actually looking at sort of diversity and inclusivity issues. And that's what, you know, that's what we need to see before we come back. And you said, I want to come uh, back. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Yeah. And you said that the most recent, I guess, newsworthy event that included CrossFit was followed mm -hmm. up by an encouraging sign for you. Which it was. was Again, well, I'm not using the podcast to, to, to relitigate anything, but short, uh, you know, long story short, there was a gym that was upset about being shut down, like a lot of gyms are. Mm -hmm. However, they took it many degrees further and invited a lot of people onto their gym and openly flouted, you know, public policy, public health yeah. policy, um, which, you know, it's not unsurprising. If this is America, you're going to get that. Um, mm -hmm. But someone that crossed we reacted in a supportive way of that, which from the leadership position, that's not right. And, but then CrossFit as an organization came out and said, no, we're not going to let individuals speak for this brand any longer. Yeah. This brand is going to take a position as a whole and say that it's just not allowed to do that. This doesn't represent us. So that, that was encouraging for you. That never would have happened a year ago. You know, COVID notwithstanding, but it's, it's yeah. So that was when... And this gets back to sort of the PR and marketing and branding issue that CrossFit has, is that CrossFit in the past has not made statements as a brand. They've been very, you know, very libertarian, right? Every yeah. every gym is their own. Individual voice, voices and that. Right. Which is in some ways, 
Well, in some ways, it's the strength of CrossFit. And in some ways, it's like the absolute downfall because, you know, one of the the sort of analogy I've used is that if you say CrossFit, it's like saying soda, right? But you don't know if you're going to get a root beer or an orange soda or a cherry Mm -hmm. Coke. And so... So building an individual brand as a gym on top of that foundation is very, very hard because somebody walking down the street doesn't know what they're going to get. So they're left with whatever whatever idea they have in the ether, right? Mm-hmm. And so when one of the most recognizable faces of the brand made a, incre- <laughs> a very big social media mistake, it then looks like that's the endorsement of the brand. And so for the brand to actually say, no, we're going to make a brand statement – that's a huge change. And that's the kind of change that you can look at and say, whoa, something is different at CrossFit now. And yeah, I was super excited about that. Yeah, that that was a moment. Uh, I think a meaningful moment, as you mm-hmm. said. Um, are there some bigger strategic initiatives or change of directions at the brand level that also encourage you? You know, I've heard rumors of them, but I haven't seen them yet. Uh-huh. So there's, you know, rumors of building uh, an actual diversity, equity, inclusion board that is made up of those underrepresented populations. Um, mm. If that actually happens, that would be great. Um, mm. You know, there's there's things like that. And I'm, I'm waiting to see more of it because I, you know, the power of CrossFit is not in the CrossFit games, the power of CrossFit. It's funny, I wrote an article for the CrossFit Journal like roughly a million years ago, um, telling gym owners that literally the future of CrossFit is on the couch. It's not on the podium. Um, And that was a phrase that I used. And then, you know, later there was this huge PR campaign of old people doing CrossFit on couches, which was very controversial. Um, But the, the truth is, is that if we look at what is the what is the foundation, the the market on which you can build a future for your business. It's not competitive games athletes. You know, there's never going to be more than 30 of those in the world. So like as a a gym owner and a fitness professional, where is your A, your future market to build your business on? All of that revenue that you need, the members, the the people coming in that you need, they're not games athletes. They're people who are struggling with um, health and wellness on some level. There's people who want to be fitness. There's just sort of regular old people who like to work out and need a community that's your market. But also if you look at what is the what is the greater good that we accomplish as people in any sort of sport, whether it's weightlifting or soccer or anything else. And the the, the greater good that we accomplish is that again, that knitting of those communities so that people are using their bodies, connecting with their communities um, in a way that feels a lot like, as you said, going to church. Um yeah. Because those gym communities are where, you know, it's where you find uh, job referrals. People find love. They find, you know, everything happens in these communities. And when people are left out of that, they're losing a lot more than just a shot at fitness. They're losing all of those social connections that are there for you when you need a place to live, when you need a new job, when you break up, when your husband has cancer, when all of those things. And we can't keep excluding those people from our communities and expect to, to reach our potential. Yeah, it reminds you of something I think about often, which is take the U.S. on a global stage. You know, mm-hmm. the Olympics, for example, America, you know, by and large, historically has had some of the best athletes in the world. We are well mm-hmm. represented in the Olympics as winners. Yeah. At the same time, we have some serious health concerns in the U.S. based on our population. Props yeah. at first glance when it came out to me it seemed like, and I think it did in large part, you know, minus what you talked about, um, was turning fitness into a sport and inviting people to kind of address that problem. I thought totally. that was a really lofty goal and Absolutely. a really worthy goal. I was, it was so credible. And, and I think it still is. 
Um, but that that still has its challenges. Like you mentioned, there are going to be people who don't feel welcome or invited or maybe don't even know about CrossFit. And right. if the goal by and large is to make big material moonshot changes to general fitness, you know, the general fitness population, you have to address that, don't you? Totally. And I think that is the, like, that is why I love CrossFit. That is, I, that is the highest potential of CrossFit. Like the games are fun. I love going to the games. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The highest potential of what we can do is literally, literally, literally save lives, you know, writ large. Like we can really, we can make a difference in the overall health of this, of the world. Um, if we don't systematically alienate, you know, people who, who could benefit from it. Yeah. So hopeful for the future process. Um, Sounds like you want to, you know, be involved again. You want to see it succeed and emerge stronger oh, than it has in the past. Um, do you think do. it will? I do, actually. I do, and I hope I hope to be part of it. It's like you know, as I said in that that last blog post that you mentioned, it's like it's like when you're in a intense relationship with a whatever a boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, lover, and you just see all the potential in the world, and you just love them, and you pour your heart and your soul into it, and they just can't get it together, so you break up. And then they start getting their shit together and you're like rooting for them, but you're also like, God damn it. Why didn't you do that sooner? Um, that's very much where I am. So I am yeah. absolutely rooting for them a hundred billion percent. And, you know, I think we have a future getting back together. Good. I want to uh, change to a more tactical level, your background in PR and marketing. I feel like I, I should dig into that a little bit for our <laughs> audience. Um, I'm a marketing guy myself. Um, things have changed over the years. Mm -hmm. um, they're always changing. 2020 is no different. Um, what are some ways you approach marketing your gym in 2020? You've had challenges, obviously, you're in Seattle. It sounds like you're not open right now. No, we're um, closed. How do you go about this? Yeah, you're closed. So we're closed. how do we well, go about this? Well, some, some of it is actually just a, a literal tactical pivot about what, what the product is that we offer. So we've now, we're entirely online. So we have a full a full class schedule entirely online, which on the one hand is great because it means that, you know, anybody in the world could join Rocket now. Um, but video, that's all video. Yeah, and we're just doing Zoom classes. They're not they're mm -hmm. not fancy, but they're really, you know, they're fun. But we also realize that, okay, if, if we're going to do, if we're going to do this, how do we reach as many people as possible and how do we support other small businesses? And so we actually formed a collective with four other gyms, but we're quickly bringing gyms on where we are all, if you are a member of one gym, you get all of the online offerings from everybody's gyms. And so, for instance, we were never able to because of our, our size and our budget, especially during COVID, we didn't have yoga classes, we didn't have dance classes, we didn't have all these other things we want to have. But now we do because we're partnered, one of our partner gyms is in North Carolina, and that's what they do. So, so some of it from a business perspective was being able to pivot because if you're going to survive as a business, whether it's COVID or anything else, you have to be able to pivot to meet, meet the market where it's at. Um, so that was part of it. And then, you know, our, our social media, we don't do, we're not huge at marketing ourselves because we're a small gym and, you know, we had more than 200 members, like growth was not a, growth wasn't a concern growth. of ours. Did, did, did growth initially happen the uh, friends, friends of friends. Yeah, we were, we've never, for years, we never advertised at all or even really marketed it. It was really sort of word of mouth, you know, like you can trust these people, you should, you should come here. And so we grew, 
we've been a gym for nine years. Before COVID hit, we had about 230 members in a 1,500 square foot gym, mm-hmm. um, which is pretty, pretty impressive. And my husband and I at that point were not on the coaching calendar at all. We just had a full staff mm-hmm. of coaches, and I wouldn't say the gym ran itself, but it it came close. We certainly had hit all of those goals you want to hit as a gym owner. Um, since the, the stuff went down with Greg, um, you know, we've had to sort of step back and reevaluate, like we didn't mean to become a social justice centered gym. Like that wasn't ever the goal. And we were thrust very intensely into the spotlight at that point. Um, and so we had to sort of sit down and figure out like, what the hell? Like, do we double down on this? Do we back away from this? You know, what do we, what do we do? And out of curiosity, did mm-hmm. did you have any folks reach out in dissent to you, strangers or anyone alike? And did you get personal backlash? We definitely, that? yeah, we lost we lost members at the gym. Um, ironically, mostly because they said we weren't doing enough, which I found oh. fascinating and confusing, and it definitely like that caused that caused some serious introspection. Um, And I think it's always incumbent on us to ask what more could we do? And so I think, you know, one of the very fair complaints was that we didn't have a particularly diverse coaching staff, which was a thousand percent true. Um, For better or worse, it's because our coaches never quit. And so we've had the same, to a large degree, we've had the same coaches we've had, some of them literally since we opened. Um, And so, you know, once we, when we get the chance to reopen, February, maybe, you know, it's definitely going to be like, okay, how do we, how do we actively proactively get a more diverse coaching staff? And that was one of the problems that we had with being a CrossFit gym was that we could only hire coaches with a CrossFit certification, right? Well, that limits the pool immensely because CrossFit itself has a problem with being overwhelmingly white. So if I wanted to hire a black coach, I had to hire a black coach who had a CrossFit certification, rather than a black coach who had some other nationally recognized certification. So our hope is that once we're allowed to reopen and hopefully we can start building again, you know, we should have a larger pool of applicants that we can pull from now because now I can hire a strength and conditioning coach, you know, that doesn't have a CrossFit certification, but has a great background. Um, So, so some of it, you know, we've had this, this time, this COVID time to sit down and look at sort of structurally, what does rocket do to become better, you know, to become closer to what our own ideal is, because we are not now and we never will be perfect. That's not, that's not a thing. Um, But we've also really had to look at sort of what is the stuff, what are the stories that we tell on social media? And I use, we use our Facebook page mostly to post other people's stuff. We don't, I don't generate content. I don't, I know there's a lot of people who tell you, you have to generate your own original content. There is so much noise out there that unless you are somebody truly spectacular, you don't need to generate your own content. Um, so we use it to elevate voices of these underrepresented, underrepresented populations that I think need to be heard. So we use our, our social media mostly to do that, to just sort of raise other people's voices up. Hmm. Um, want to talk a little bit about this concept of fitness versus shapeness as it relates to women. Yeah. Um, you went back in time to find that one. Yeah. Yeah. I did a little research. I, You know, I've, I've done a podcast now to know when a podcast goes bad and it's usually didn't mean being lazy. So we don't do that. Yeah. Um, much of my audience is traditional strength and conditioning coaches in the high mm-hmm. schools, colleges, professional, and a lot of gym owners too. That's mm-hmm. a growing part of my, my audience, our, our customers. So I think this topic that was relevant and pertinent across the board. 
It's just important to know whether you train all females or you train one female. Um, I remember when I sat down with a friend of mine, Erica Suter, she's a college classmate of mine, a well-known training coach, performance coach now, especially yeah. in soccer. And it's the first time I heard of it. I just didn't know before. She said, you know, when, you, when training female athletes, my approach is thinking about more, not less. I don't mm -hmm. ever talk about less weight, less inches, less anything. I talk Love about it. more fitness, more strength, more endurance, more time spent in the gym, more time spent on addressing fitness needs, not how can I lose bad habits? How can I lose things? So it's hit me like a big oh, I wall. love that. That's great. So brilliant. It's yeah. so brilliant. And that conversation, from my observation over the last couple of years, it's 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 doing really well, especially in traditional strength and conditioning. Um, mm -hmm. But this is a conversation that it, it has a lot of nuance. It's going to need more you know layers to it. Um, yeah. So I'd like to to take time talking about it. I think it's important. So um, I guess the question is, what, what can coaches know beyond Encouraging female athletes to value fitness over shakiness. What is there more to it? And I'd like to specifically talk about um, the initial conversations that you have when you get a new member at the gym. Mm -hmm. Let's take someone with zero training age who's very timid. And they're brave just to walk into your skin in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what does that initial conversation look like um, with someone? Well, so we always, we uh, goal setting, what are your goals is always the first, the first thing that we talk about. And so the way we do it at Rocket actually is that we always have group classes. Um, so even our one-on-one, -on -one, I know a lot of people do one-on-one -on -one privates to launch people. We don't do that. We, we launch people in a group. So we do what we call a blast off class and that we cap it at eight people um, prior to COVID. It was always full. Um, and we actually go around the circle and say, you know, what are your goals? And nine years running, eight people per class, seven people in every class say their goal is to lose weight. Wow. Wow. It's amazing. I it would is not have amazing. guessed that. Uh, that's higher than I would have thought. I knew it would have been the majority. But okay, maybe high. it's six, but it's still, it's like that's pretty much high. everybody comes in and they'll say, you that's know, I'll have uh, people who are 50 years old saying they want to uh, be the same size they were in college again. It is so pervasive and I do it as a group specifically so that people can understand that, that it is that pervasive, that there's nothing wrong with you for thinking that you have been fed this mythology from the get go that skinny equals good. Um, and we are in this together to go ahead and change that mythology. So I let everybody do their thing. And then I say, guess what? We actually don't support weight loss as a goal in here. Like we literally, we will never weigh you. We don't talk about it. We will never talk about what your body looks like. We will never talk about what your size is. What we talk about is what you can do. So it's along the same lines of that more, not less. So it's it's like, what can you do? What do you want to do? And so I'll very jokingly say, okay, so we, we're going we're gonna to help everyone figure out what it is that you do with your body that brings you joy. I don't care if that is hiking or dancing or playing soccer with your kids or having sex all night, whatever it is, we're going to make sure that you are in shape to do that. Um, and that really, like, I didn't mean to say shape there. That's weird that it came out of my mouth. That you are able to do that. Yeah, you um, have the fitness. It's the same thing. Using the yeah, that, 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 you are, that you are able to do that. And then people, so then we'll say, go around again. Let's figure out. So what is it that you do with your body that brings you joy? And the conversation changes at that point. Because if you tell me that you're into skiing and it's August, I know I got like two, maybe three months to really work on the strength and mobility you need in your quads and your hips and your ankles to be able to ski all day. Right. So it changes that that conversation. One of the things that I think CrossFit did really brilliantly was that they laid out these sort of 10 elements of fitness. 
Um, and we tell people that, that from here on out, that's how we're going to look at your progress. We're not going to weigh you. We're not going to look at your sizes. But do you have more mobility? Do you have more ballistic strength? Can you? Do you have more endurance? Do you have more of these things? And so it's exactly like what you just said. It's how do you, it's more, not less. And more that is really, that really, it really helps to sort of change people's perspective because you can't, you know, there's this moment. So 20, I used to teach step aerobics at the Y, um, like in the early nineties. So like a whole different universe. And I was in my early twenties and I was exactly what you would picture for a step aerobics teacher in the early nineties who happened to be in her early twenties. And I will never forget. I had a woman who was probably the age that I am now. I'm 51. Um, come up to me and say, what do I need to do to look like you? And even in my early 20s, I found that to be the most devastating question in the world. And I just looked at her and I was like, I don't know, have my parents and my exact DNA and be 23? <laughs> like, like, there's nothing you can do. It's the wrong goal. And so helping people big one for me is like people talk about, you know, loving your body. And I'm not here to tell you you have to love your body, but I am here to tell you you have to accept the reality of it. Um, and so I could, as a 51-year-old, probably get my 23-year-old body back if I tried really hard. But in order to do that, I would have to stop eating enough. And I really like eating. Um, I would probably have to spend more time in the gym than I want to. And I don't really want to do that because there's other things I want to do. So in order to achieve that goal... I would have to live a life that would be disordered by any clinical standard. And, and it would so, seem like that motivation would have to be fueled by vanity. And it just doesn't seem healthy. It would totally have to be fueled by vanity. So then what do you, it's funny. I watch, you know, I'm 51, right? So most of my friends are, are in their fifties also. And I'm watching them desperately try to hang on, or some of them try to desperately hang on to being 20 and being quote hot, whatever that means, or sexy, whatever that means. And I find that so profoundly sad. But as a society, we have actually taught women, and I think men also, um, but to a lesser degree, that in order to be worthy, you have, that in yeah, in order to be worthy, you have to be sort of like hot and sexy in this, in this way that's so narrowly defined that very few people can ever achieve it. And then if you're one of those people who had that, watching it disappear and wondering what your value in the world is as a result of that, God, that's devastating. So I always joke that like, I feel so lucky that I was never the smoking hot one because I'm not actually worried about losing that because I never had it in the first place. <laughs> you know, like it's such a, it's just, it's such a mind fuck. It's so, and if you look, if you really want to go back and analyze, you know, our beauty standards are all thin and white, right? Like, absolutely. it's just racist as hell. <laughs> It's crazy. It is. And, yeah. And I'm glad to see. I have. I think things are changing for the better. We still have a they big are. image thing in yeah. the U.S., but corporations as well as individuals are starting to, you know, by way of conversations like what we're having now. Mm -hmm. my, what what my wife specifically listens to in terms of podcasts and business advice. Things are yeah. changing for the better, but they definitely change. Are. Material change change takes takes a long time. This yeah. happened overnight. We all know that. Um, so let's talk about the men. Um, yeah, you're totally right. It's not as pervasive. The pressures, uh, of it's image, real. It, it's real. It's not as pervasive, but it's real. I'm not immune to it. Not at all. No, um, it doesn't dominate my life, but I'm not immune to it. Um, so what do you see in men? What do men speak out and where are the pressures they face from, you know, the, the, the fitness, uh, the industry at large? You know, what's interesting for me is that I hear less about the, the, 
the visual physical stuff. Um, although I know that it's there, like, you know, men want to be cut and they want to have, you know, six pack abs and pecs that you can see the place that it impacts me the most as a trainer is that I see men more than women willing to risk form in order to get a big lift. Right. And so what's interesting to me is that that's actually more physically dangerous in the short term. Like you're going to risk much, much more acute injury for that. And women are more, people like to say women are more willing to receive coaching, which unfortunately is generally true. And I think a lot of that is probably socialized as well. Um, but with men, it's really hard to tell a guy to take weight off his bar. Right. And I'm like, you're gonna, and I will, like, I will absolutely yell at you and say, it's, you know, my gym, my rules, take the fucking plates off because you're going to hurt yourself. Um, but that's where, that's where I see it is willingness to sacrifice form in order to say, I got this big lift. Um, and it's, that's dangerous, but it is because we're women, you have to be skinny and white to be sexy. Men have to be strong. Right. And it's, yeah. it's interesting because with women, you know, you have to be nice. You have to not annoy anybody. You have to be, make everybody feel safe and comfortable. You have to be skinny and white with men. You can make up for some of that if you are strong and rich. Right. So it's like, you get this sort of extra, this extra thing, like, well, maybe you're not super hot, but are you strong? Are you rich? Yeah. It's really yeah, it's a mess. But that's where I see it mostly in the gym, actually, is a willingness to sacrifice form in order to get a big lift. But also, the you know, weight loss. Yeah. Yeah, weight loss is, is there. I can see it. Um, okay, interesting. Um, yeah. So so in this um, laptop program that you do, mm -hmm. um, what does that look like? What what are, it, it, I'm guessing form, mobility, assessment, those are big components of that. Wow. Yeah, it's really what we tell people is that what we want to do in blast off is, is drill in the fundamentals of safe movement um, and get your body used to working at a higher intensity, get you used to working in a group and, and taking feedback. And so the and we it's funny, we had an ex NFL player uh, put through it. You get, we put we make everybody do blast off and they're like, wait, what are you kidding? I have this background. But the truth is not that many people actually know how to squat safely. You know, not that many people know how to press safely. If you tell people to brace, you're like, what does that even mean? And so we, the the first blast off class, and this is actually, it's on our website, it's all online, but we, the very first blast off class, we literally just work on the difference between squatting and hinging, and we work on bracing. And so teaching people how to brace safely, how to squat correctly, and the difference between a squat and a hinge, because to us, that feels like the foundation of everything we do. And it seems really boring, but then people are like, whoa, I didn't know that if I squeeze my butt, I'm going to make my, you know, lower back safer. Surprise, you know. And then, yes, we met, make jokes about it's all in your butt. But, you know, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And then uh, from there, we just sort of move up and go through various barbell barbell lifts, um, various plyometric stuff, various gymnastic stuff. And it's, a, it's six classes, and then we release you into our general population. But all of our classes, even once you're in, uh, regular classes, they're all coached. Like you could be there for nine years and you still have to go through, you know, all of the coaching in every single class. Yeah. Um, what, one of the um, objectives that I think CrossFit is looking to accomplish with their, re, their re, you know, rephasing, if you will, mm -hmm. is they, they want the CrossFit coach, the CrossFit trainer position to be a viable career, something that can Should afford be. them yeah. enough income to, to buy a house or to, to go Absolutely. on vacation. So it sounds like you have a, a good coaching team that is fairly autonomous. Um, in, in your experience, what makes a successful CrossFit trainer, level one, level two, whatever? What, what do you see in them that makes them succeed? 
So we actually, so the level, I know there's a lot of gyms who will pay a coach more if they have a level two or a level three or whatever. I haven't found any correlation whatsoever between those numbers wow. and the ability for someone to be a good coach. Wow. Um, like literally none. Um, I think that to be clear, I actually think that the CrossFit certifications are excellent courses and I would take them. I've had athletes take them who have no interest in coaching. I think they are wow. fantastic courses. Um, but there's a whole lot of other ways to become a good coach, right? There's people, we've got people who are yoga instructors for years. We've got massage therapists. We've got people who are strength and conditioning coaches. There's no correlation between just having a CrossFit certification and being a good coach. The things I, I can teach you or somebody can teach you how to coach the mechanics of a squat. You know, I can teach you how to look for a butt wink and how to, how to try and correct that. I can tell you why ankle mobility matters. What you can't teach is compassion caring and stage presence. And that's what makes a great coach. So I would rather have somebody who understands the little tiny details of a squat a little bit less, but is able to really inspire an athlete and make them feel connected and compassionate. I would hire that coach, you know, cause I can teach the details. Um, but it does have to be for a lot of people, if you want to make a living as a coach, that's still really, really hard to do because most small, small gyms, and this is something if, you know, if anybody at CrossFit's listening, um, the thing that I need most in order to have make this a viable career for people is the ability to offer my coaches health insurance. Um, so there's a lot of places where a large collective organization could actually make a huge difference. So if if um, if a coach hired by a CrossFit gym could buy into CrossFit's health insurance, and I asked for this for years and years and years and years, um, that would make a world of difference. That would mean somebody who was really passionate about coaching but was keeping their shitty job somewhere else so that for the health insurance yeah. would be free of that shitty job and could come focus on coaching. Let me just tell you, when I started my business, um, I was a part-time liquor inspector for the county. <laughs> um, going to bars at Friday yeah. and Saturday night because the county gave me health insurance. Sure. Um, you need and, and I also wrote a blog recently, it's on our website, about how to make your side hustle your main hustle. And I, and I said that one of the most important ways to do that is to have a reliable main hustle while you do your side hustle. Totally. Because health, you need the health insurance. You need the health insurance. You know, you, know, you need that support to kind of take mm -hmm. the pressure off your side hustle. Yeah. If you throw yourself in the deep end, you get a lot of pressures that are just aren't realistic in terms of building a viable business. Super important. I'm glad you mentioned that. Well, and it's totally, you know, it's, I'm, we're not going to bring up politics, but it, but it, but it's that health insurance thing is what keeps so many people stuck in, yeah. and, and prevents them from pursuing something that they're passionate about. It keeps people stuck in bad marriages. It keeps people stuck in bad jobs. It's yeah. not, you know, that is a really big thing. And, you know, in lieu of major political shift, that's something that CrossFit HQ could do is say, hey, if you are a member, if you're an employee at a CrossFit gym, even if you're a part-time employee, you can buy into our health insurance. I would reaffiliate with CrossFit in 15 seconds flat for that. Yeah. Um, it's we're here to have a realistic conversation. We can't omit this. I mean, this is no. a real thing for someone who wants to turn personal training or, or coaching into a career. Yeah, and it's also you know it it underpin you know going back to sort of disenfranchised and underrepresented people. That's a lot of why is because people are absolutely stuck there, and then you can get um, just crippled with medical debt if anything goes wrong. You don't get to treat underlying health conditions that need to be addressed, but you can't afford to treat them. You know, keeping people in a state of, of panicked and unhealthy poverty is a great way to make sure that nothing ever changes. And yeah. so that is, 
you know, if I were, if, if Eric called me tomorrow and said, Hey, Alyssa, one thing, what would you do? That is literally the one thing I would do. Um, yeah. is that, but I think also, you know, gym owners, gym owners have the responsibility to take care of their employees. And Brady and I have always put our employees first. So there was, when we were first opening the gym, we were literally paying employees out of our, our retirement. Um, I mean, we didn't hire employees until the gym could basically sustain it, but every now and then there was a rough month and then we'd be like, well, shit, we're, you know, we're going to pay them out of our retirement. And I think that as an employer, you owe your employees that. So certainly in the time of COVID, all of our employees are still being paid. Brady and I aren't making any money at all, but yeah. nobody's lost their job. But And, and it's, it's ethical, it's, it's compassionate, but it's also good business. Did that have excellent business. impact on your, your members? Yeah, no, it's, it's, it is, it is excellent business. You know, we've had, there's, we've had like most of our coaches have been with us for more than five years. Um, and every now and then we, you know, we'll go through this little churn of coaches that only last a few months. And it, it's, it's so hard on the community. It's hard on us. It's hard on, it's just hard on everything. Um, and so trying to figure out how to make sure that that never happens is certainly top of my mind. And some of it is just, you know, making, not hiring in a crisis. So we have one coach who we know is probably moving out of state in February and we've already started the process of trying to replace him. Um, and he's helping with that. Like he's one of the Cardinal forces trying to replace himself. Um, because that, you know, churn, churn is expensive in every way. Um, and so it's, it's effort intensive. It's effort intensive. And it has never, it has never not negatively impacted the community for us. Um, and, and, you know, some of the more painful churns have been a, a result of my bad hiring. Like I shouldn't have hired that person in the first place, but I thought that I was desperate and needed to. And so I have to, my job in order to protect the community and myself and the coaches is to not let myself get in that situation again. Um, but you know, life happens. Insightful. So valuable. We're coming up on 45 minutes. And this is how long my podcast goes. All oh. the conversations <laughs> we have. They could go longer, but we you know, talk we, forever, we as you know. Yeah, I, I could too. But you know, we yeah. put it in there. We we got a lot out. I just want to yeah. say thank you. I'm grateful for your time. Thank, thank you. you. Short notice, and uh, you know, considering again the circumstance by which I found out about you, I didn't know necessarily this is something you would even want to do with me. So I want to say thank you for doing that. That's awesome. Yeah. No, it was it was it was great to talk to you. I think this stuff matters, and it matters well outside of CrossFit. You know, it's those of us who are entrusted with people's bodies and hopes and dreams really need to, we need to hold ourselves accountable to do better. So, yeah. 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 So, um, I follow you on Instagram. I like to plug your Instagram. Alyssa Royce. Awesome. Um, you can find of course your Instagram posts, but also you have links to things that you write and you share your mind. I think that's really yeah. Helpful. So I want to encourage everyone to keep it popular. Awesome. Yeah. My, my Instagram is all my personal stuff and you're welcome to look at my cats and my baking and my crafting, but rocket community fitness, um, on Facebook and Instagram is where we post more sort of issue related fitnessy stuff. I see. So, okay, great. Yeah. Excellent. I'll make sure to put awesome. that in my show notes. Cool. Melissa, thank you for coming on. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Have a good one. You Bye. Too. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Team Builder Podcast. If you have an idea for a guest or a topic that you would like us to discuss on our format, go ahead and reach out to me. My email is hewitt at teambuilder.com. Thanks again for listening.